for today is Philippians 2, 12 to 16. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. So, uh, this is our passage. Oh, um, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. So, this is our passage for today. I'm just so excited to get started here. Um, and... This is a series on Philippians, right? Uh, and so we've already covered Philippians chapter 1, and we're in the middle of Philippians 2. But the last couple Sundays have been a little bit choppy. We preached one sermon out of order, and then Nick preached a sermon. I'm not sure if everybody was able to do the live stream, so some people might have missed one of the sermons. So I'd like to do a little recap of what we've covered so far. And so far, as I, as I think through and as, as I looked at how I could do a recap, it kind of seems like two themes are really emerging. This do. There's, there's action. There's things that we need that Paul is calling the Philippians to do. Preach the gospel. So in, uh, in the first chapter, participate in the gospel, fund missions, pray for missionaries, care for missionaries. This is what he is encouraging them to do. He's thanking them for already doing it. Preach the gospel. So this is implied with what he was talking about with the, the petty pastors. So there's, you know, people are preaching the gospel here. Some are doing it well, some are not doing it well. But preach the gospel, so there's this implication that that's part of what we need to do. As well, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. Uh, in Philippians 1, 27 to 30, uh, and Nick talked about that uh, last week, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's, there's this doing, preaching the gospel, living out the gospel, sharing the gospel. But then there's this other component, which is B, live the gospel. And he's spending a tremendous amount of time on attitude. And this is something that, that is kind of surprising as, as I've been looking at this more and more, how much he cares about our attitude. Uh, he starts it off, you know, live the gospel, be like Paul, who humbled himself and elevated others just even in the titles and how he addressed people. Love people truly through prayer. Don't be like the petty pastors, but be like the good pastors that care for Paul and that are trying to minister to him in the way that they love. Prioritize the well-being of others above your own. As Paul uh, said, to, to, die, um, to live as Christ and to die as gain, I would rather pray for this to end, but rather I'm going to stay here and work for you and care for you with my life. And be like Christ, who did not cling to his status, but he humbled himself and he took on a lowly role and he voluntarily accepted suffering and he prioritized the well-being of others above his own and he prioritized the obedience to the Father above his own. So there's do, share the gospel, and then there's be, live the gospel, and actually have it transform you from the inside out. Have this Christian character happening, so it's not just, just doing stuff, it's, it's a transformed life. Now as I say that, um, I want to I wanna pause here to make a, a slight, well, to make a correction to what I said last week, because I was listening to my sermon after the fact, uh, one of the benefits of recording it is you can listen to it, and and critique your own theology. 
And uh, right at the end, I talked about how Jesus humbled himself and he, he made himself nothing and he lowered himself to lift us up. And it fit, it sounded right with what I said. It, it fits with what Paul was saying before, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. But that's not actually what the passage says. It does, Philippians 2 does not actually say that the reason Jesus died was for, for me. The reason, I know this sounds weird, but the reason that Jesus died, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It was obedience that took him to the cross. And it was obedience to the Father. It wasn't out of this great desire necessarily to be with me, although that, you know, certainly Jesus loves me. But it was primarily, the primary fundamental motivation was obedience to the Father. The same as in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was, was, Jesus prayed to the Father, I don't want to take this cup. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Which is why the old song that says, he had no tears for his own grief, but sweat drops of blood for mine. Um, that song, oh how wonderful, oh how glorious. Um, is wrong because Jesus was agonizing over what he was going to face and the reason he went through is because of obedience to the Father and out of love to the Father. So this might seem a little bit, well it might seem trivial. I'm kind of sharing something with you that I heard back in Bible school and I was like, oh come on, that doesn't really matter. Because when I was in Bible school, Mar uh, Michael W. Smith came out with the song Like a Rose. And, and the, the song Like a Rose talks about how above all powers, above all things, and, and then it talks about how Jesus is crucified, how God is glorified, Jesus is crucified, and you thought of me above all. And a lot of theologians said, whoa, hold on a second. We're not the center of God's universe. God is the center of God's universe. And, you know, Jesus went to the cross and died out of obedience to the Father, out of love to the Father, and that's on our behalf, but it's primarily to the Father. So, so... Why does this matter? I think it's important enough for us to take a few minutes before we get back to the sermon to say why this matters. It's, there's a number of words in Greek for love. There's, I thought there were three. I did more research. There's actually five, and it just throws everything off. <laughs> I think I've said that in sermons before. There's three words for love. Uh, but anyways, there's, there's eros love, which is romantic love. You know, uh, boy meets girl sort of, you know, I need you. I want you. You feel something in me. And, and, you know, hopefully it's mutual. Then there's phileo love, which is brotherly love. And then there's uh, agape love, which is just an altruistic, giving, perfect sort of a love. Where I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm just giving out of the overflow of, of the goodness and abundance of my heart. And this is the word that is always used for the love of God for us. So it's kind of like the difference between somebody who has an attitude towards their child, I need you. you, you fill me, you complete me. Without you, I'm nothing. And the kid gets to the age where they're going off to college and, and the parent is like, no, like I don't know who I am without you. you. You're part of me, you know? And this, you know, that, that sort of love, that, that eros love is appropriate between a husband and a wife because it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. There, there's we're supposed to join to each other in that way, in a romantic way. Um, 
as, as a couple, but not to our kids. To our kids, it's agape love. I give to you, I serve you. Out of the overflow of the love that, that your mother and I have for each other, we love you. So we are complete in ourselves. We, we are whole in ourselves. We, we, we don't have this deficiency. Certainly there's, we appreciate you and we love you, but you're not completing us. We're already complete. And out of that completeness, we can love you. And that's the message of the gospel. Is not that God was lonely one day, not that God felt incomplete, not that God um, felt like he just couldn't go on with his life without us, but that God was already complete. God was already whole. And God in the Trinity was already bound together in perfect love and unity. And in the, out of the overflow of their love, they looked down and saw an orphan such as me, a wretch, a nobody, and said, would you like to participate in our love? Would you like to join us in our family? And this is the invitation that God gives us. And Jesus went to the cross out of obedience to the Father on our behalf. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. And we can, we can join that family. So, that's a little bit of an excursus, but I thought it was worth, worth clarifying that Jesus did not... His primary motivation when he died, although it was on our behalf, was not us. It was love and obedience to the Father. So let's get back to uh, where we were going with... Um, our recap of Philippians, we talked about we need to do the gospel. And it's so incredible and it's so amazing that God invites us into his family. And Peter said, there is only one name given under heaven by which we must be saved, the name Jesus Christ. That we could not do it. We can't earn our salvation. We can't buy our way in. God had to invite us into the family. And this is a message that needs to be told. And Paul is saying, tell the message, share the message, proclaim it from the rooftops. And the message is so important that I'd rather somebody have a bad attitude and share it out of pettiness and strife and animosity. Paul says, I'm happy that the message is getting out because the message matters in Philippians 1. But also, B, live the message. Because the message is that God is love. And when God's love is in us, it changes us. And so that brings us to where we are today. Philippians 2:12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there's so much in here that we're only going to get to four verses today. I thought we would finish the chapter, but haha, no. Uh, there's only four. We're only going to look at these four verses today. Um, so just briefly, in my presence or in my absence, he starts it off and he's going to end it with, um, so that, uh, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So on kind of both ends of this commandment, Paul is saying, do this for me in some, in some way, do this for me, like, because I care for you, because I want to hear that you're doing well, whether I'm here, when, uh, whether I'm there with you or I'm not with you. Just do it, you know, and, and I'll be proud of you. And we should do all things for God, and, and that should, God should be our primary motivation for things. But honestly, you know, we don't see God, and, but we do see our pastor, we do see our mentors, we do see our friends, 
and there's nothing wrong with wanting to please them by living uh, a godly life. So then he, this is the meaty part. This is the hard part. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. So how is it that we work out our salvation? Isn't salvation a gift for us? And I talked about this a little bit in the first sermon uh, in the series, but this is not something that we work for. The choice of verb is very important here. We're not working for our salvation. We're not paying it off, at kind of an installment plan where, where we pay it off after the fact. This isn't like a mortgage, but we work it out. That there's a sense where we, you already have it, you're already saved, but make it better. It's like working on your business or working on you know, being a better employee or working on your marriage or working on your family. This is something that you already have. But work on it, work it out, improve it. It can be better. Share the gospel and be like Christ. Work in the gospel. And this is supposed to be something that changes the world and also changes you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I, as I've mentioned before, I'm having this amicable conversation with a Catholic friend. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we've discussed is eternal security, and he feels like nobody can know that they're a Christian. Nobody can know that they're saved. Uh, we'll know when we die. Uh, and as far as I know, that's in accordance with, with Catholic teaching, and that's a big difference between us because uh, I know that I'm saved, and I, I want all of you to know that you're saved. Uh, and he used this verse, and he said, look, we work with fear and trembling. Uh, we don't know if we're saved. We're going to work hard and we're going to try and make sure that, you know, at the other, when, uh, when we get to the pearly gates, we'll, we'll get let in. But this does not seem to me like uh, a verse that's asking us to uh, have fear and trembling about our salvation. And there's at least two reasons for this. One is that there are parts there are verses in the Bible that speak about false Christians and that speak about, are you sure you're really a Christian? Because it's, it's more than just saying, raising your hand somewhere and saying you're a Christian or checking a box on a, on a, on a census card to say that you're a Christian. It, it actually means a, a life transformation and living with Christ and, and living right. So there are verses that talk about this, but I don't think this is one of them. Because what does Paul call these, this church in verse 1? to the saints in Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus, to the holy ones. Hagios is the Greek noun, the holy ones in Christ Jesus. So these are already the holy ones. These are already the saints. These are already people in the kingdom. And there isn't any obvious external visible sin that Paul is worried about or else he would have called them out on it. We can see this very clearly in, in books like Galatians and Corinthians. If there is a sin in a church, Paul is ready and willing to call it out. He is not shy about calling people to be better. So that's not, I don't believe that that's why Paul is, uh, is talking about fear and trembling. So why should we work with fear and trembling if we're not afraid of losing our salvation, if we're not afraid of, of being saved? Well, as it turns out, the verse itself tells us why we should be afraid. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you. It's God who is at work in us. That's why we have fear. That's why we have trembling. Uh, a few weeks ago, our prime minister came to Sherbrooke. 
and uh, and Jessica packed us all up in the car or said, hey, we ought, we ought to go. Um, and so we all jumped in the car and on the way I was kind of nervous and I was kind of like running through in my mind what I, what I might want to say if potentially I'd have the chance to shake his hand and have like two seconds to say something like balance the budget or something like that. Um, but you know, eventually she said, you know, Josiah, this isn't something where you're actually going to get to see him, which is, you know, kind of reasonable. And as it turned out, we didn't even get to see him at all. It was, it was kind of a protest that we showed up to and we were like, ah, might be time to take the kids home. Um, but you know, if you just go to hang out with your friend, you're not necessarily having that sense of fear and trepidation, but if you go to meet an important person, if you're thinking in your mind you might be talking to the Prime Minister of Canada of your nation, you're going to be a little bit like, oh, what am I wearing? What, what am I going to say? How am I not going to make a fool of myself? And it is God who is at work within us. This is not just a pet project that we have. This is not just a hobby. We are being invited into God reconciling the world with himself. There is no bigger story. There is no bigger mission. This is the God of holiness, who, whose glory is more important than my happiness. This is the holy God, and he is at work within us. And if that doesn't terrify you, then you don't know who God is. Um, and perhaps there's other sermons that, that would drive that home. But this is God working in us. And so we work with fear and trembling, knowing that this is important, this is, this is powerful, and God is powerful. And this harkens again back to verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In this language, many commentators say, Paul is drawing on something that he knew was happening in the Philippian church. Because Philippi was in Macedonia, north of Greece. It was far from Rome. But because the city was a Roman garrison that the Roman army had set up that city and set up shop there. All the citizens of that city were granted honorary Roman citizen status. So every Philippian was a Roman citizen, which was a really, 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 really big deal. And if you read the book of Acts, you know that Paul was a Roman citizen, and that meant that, that he was entitled to certain treatment. He was, he was given more rights than other people. Roman citizens, for one thing, could not be crucified, which, you know, is a good perk. Um, not having to worry about that. But there were other, other advantages that came with that as well. And it was more than just, you know, getting out of jail free card. It, it came with a certain prestige. Hey, you're a Philippian. You're a Roman citizen. Live like it. Don't put us to shame. Don't make us embarrassed. This is Rome you're talking about. This is the emperor. This is, you know, hold yourself with a bit of respect. And Paul is telling them, kind of bringing them back to this as well. Look, you are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. This is God who is at work in you. You're calling yourself a Christian, a little Christ. So what does that mean? Hold yourself to a higher standard. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I wrote a whole nother sermon at this point because this is, this is, there's a fork in the road and there's, there's a sign that says danger, Calvinism here. And, you know, we, we, we could have done that, that rabbit trail and uh, I, I didn't. Uh, but I just want to say this is, you know, this is complicated. 
How is it that God gives us the will to do something, and yet we also have free will? Why is it that God gives some people more will to do the good things, and he gives some people less will? And how does sovereignty and free will even fit together? And we could talk for at least 70 minutes just on that subject and not really make a whole lot of progress, although we would feel much smarter if we did. Um, all I want to say is that there are many things that are not clear on that question, but some things are very clear. It's clear that we need to work because we're told to work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Share the gospel. Live the gospel. Be transformed by it and transform the world. We need to work. We work with fear and trembling, knowing that this is important, knowing that it is God who is working in us. But there's a lighter side that we know that we are not alone. We know that it's God working within us. We know that God's power is in us, transforming us. And all the pressure isn't on us. It is God that is helping us. And we know that we are working according to his good pleasure. We know that what we're doing is God's passion. It comes from God's heart. It is God's desire. Because it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that people get saved and that people hear about this good message and that his love that he has that is poured out on the world should be reciprocated and people should hear about it. So this is his pleasure. And this is his good pleasure because God really is good. And sometimes when we get deep into theology and we try and get really, really precise and try and figure out exactly how this all works together, we get this idea of God that, that seems very just, seems very severe, seems very firm, very removed from us, but not very kind. But this reminds us that God is good. This is according to his good pleasure. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then Paul transitions into attitude, which we've, we've, we should expect by now. This is Paul's pattern. Do this and be this. How should we be? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. So this is what we're supposed to do again, holding forth the word of life, the message that can bring life. But how should we do it? Our attitude matters. Without grumbling, without disputing, with unity, with peace among the believers, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It stands out when there's a group of people that doesn't grumble, that doesn't murmur, that doesn't dispute. It stands out. So that you will prove yourself. Again, we're not earning something. It's important. It's, it's important to get into the nuances of how Paul says things so that you will prove yourself to be innocent and blameless. He's not saying live a life that's innocent and blameless, although that could, be a, that could be good to do. He's not saying earn a reputation, although that could be a good thing. He's saying prove yourself to be blameless and innocent because you already are due to Christ's work in you. But live according to it. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
And so this is what we have seen Paul do from the beginning of Philippians up till now. Do, share the gospel, fund the gospel, preach the gospel, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel, do something, share the gospel, hold forth the word of life, but also be the gospel, live the gospel, honor others, love truly, live humbly, don't be petty, be Christ-like, live in the fear of the Lord, and work out of the pleasure of the Lord. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will, not ha I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Let's close our time in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you have prioritized your own glory and that you are complete in yourself and yet you've chosen to love us and you've extended to us the invitation to join you and to join your heavenly peace and also to share that peace with the world. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the will and the, to, the work to, um, to work according to your good pleasure. We just pray that you would bless us with more of your spirit to have more will and more work. In Jesus' name. Stand and respond. Oh.